0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence from the TCT Editorial team. I'm your host, Laura Griffiths, Deputy Group Editor at TCT, and in this episode I'll be speaking to Ellen Coleman, CEO of Carbon, a Silicon Valley 3D printing company whose additive technology has been adopted to print everything from lattice missiles for Adidas to critical items on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic. Coming up, we discuss those key applications in more detail, how material science has been integral to carbon success and the challenges facing the AM industry today. If you like what you hear, you can get your free print subscription to TCT Magazine and receive the biggest 3D printing news stories of the week delivered straight to your inbox with our Additive Insight newsletter by subscribing at tctmagazine.com. You can also let us know what you think on social at TCT Magazine and join in the discussion on the Additive Manufacturing Global Community Discord. Um, So we first spoke with you back in January as part of a written Q&A for the TCT Executive Interview Series. And that was a couple of months um, after you came on board as CEO at Carbon. So can you tell us about um, how your first year has been so far? Because I would imagine it looks quite different to what you'd imagine given the current times that we're in.
1: Yeah. I mean, boy, has this uh, been (laughs) quite a change from when you and I, you know, we exchanged uh, in January. I mean, who could Mm -hmm. have uh, forecast all this? So, I mean, I you know it's interesting. I always feel that in uncertain times, you really get to know a business very well. You get to see its strengths, you get to see its weaknesses. You get to know the people really well. How do they respond in a in a, a you know in a very ambiguous um, marketplace and world that we're living in right now? Mm-hmm. So you know, I think it was I was really happy that I had the opportunity to at least have three months in the office before we all started working remotely because it is quite different uh, to gain alignment and to really see how people are doing when you're remote it takes a lot more work.
0: And we'll talk a little bit more later on about how um, it really affected the additive side of things. But um, just to kind of um, scroll back a little bit about when you actually took on the role as CEO, because you're, of course, on the board at Carbon for a few years already. you would most recently spent um, years as CEO of DuPont. So what made you actually want to take on this CEO role at Carbon to start with?
1: you know i I always said when people asked me whether I wanted to go back and do another turn as a CEO that um it would have to be compelling because mm-hmm. um, you know when you run a company like DuPont, which is tremendous in it's technology and it's it's you know what it does for the world it's just it's compelling and um I really believe when I first came out and met Joe DeSimone, uh, our founder that the technology was compelling it had an opportunity. Uh, the digital light synthesis technology that Carbon created has the opportunity to make digital relevant in manufacturing, mm. you know, as manufacturing. And, um, you know, it was, it can print at a scale and at a cost that's relevant in, in many different areas. And so the the technology itself was, it was absolutely captivating and that's why I chose to, to join the board. And I think the company, um, to me and the progress that they've made with Adidas and Riddell helmets and, and the dental market has just been tremendous. And, you know, Joe and I kind of looked at each other in the fourth quarter of last year and, and said, wow, you know, my skills and his skills are really different. And wouldn't it be great to, to capitalize on both, right. Mm-hmm. As we go through this next phase of the company.
0: Mm-hmm. And when we did speak at the start of the year, you spoke about your plans for 2020 and scaling the business and supply chain operations and really pushing research and development. So can you talk in a few more, a bit more detail about those ambitions that you have for this year and the areas that you're most focused on? Again, I imagine that's probably changed from what you envisioned last year as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's, Interesting that there are many things that we can continue and focus on and continue to make great progress on. And there's some things that are, you know, obviously not going as quickly. So for one, we did and aligned around a product roadmap and what we wanted to accomplish from whether it's hardware, software and material science. And the software side of it can can carry on very well remotely remotely. Uh, the hardware and material science—it's only been until recently when we've been able to get a few of our people back in our labs and to continue that work there. Um, they can only do so much from home. So, but we've gotten aligned on the plan. Uh, you know, the the fulfillment of it is going to depend on on how we reopen, right, as a uh, economy, mm-hmm. and um, we need to make sure. I mean, health comes first in all of this, and and so it's that part of it is. You know, I think we're we're clear about what we can get done and we're very focused on it. Um, I think that's, that's been really the most exciting part of it, but, you know, our ability to interact with our customers is now by zoom or by other, you know, video conferencing. Um, We can't get in and install as many printers as, as our customers would like because of requirements right around Social distancing and mm-hmm. movement and things like that. So some of some of it has slowed down, but a lot of it continues on. Um, and it's amazing how much we can get done with video conferencing. And um, I think we're mm-hmm. we're. You know, my fear in March when we had to all kind of, you know, shelter in place was we were going to lose more ground. I think we have not lost as much ground as I thought. I think the teams are just really proud of the way that they are uh, responding and engaging and really driving to get everything they can done done.
0: And so when, when Carbon made its debut, I mean, I remember being at the Additive Manufacturing Users Group and just learning about the technology for the first time, having only ever really seen those, um, those first flashy videos from a TED Talk. And much of the conversation around the technology was all about its speed and, you know, how we could make parts in just a few minutes. But over time, we've really gotten to learn how it's materials that are integral to Carbon's success story. So um, would you agree that materials developments have played a significant role in really opening up these applications and potential?
1: Yeah, I think material material science has is a real differentiator for Carbon in the additive marketplace.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think
1: the the creativity and the of and our material scientists um you know, how they've engaged in different applications and you know, utilize standard where we can but create new where it differentiates us and creates real value for our customers and it's just mm-hmm. a tremendous team.
0: Mm-hmm. And that must have been quite um interesting for you coming back of a company, a, a big chemical company like DuPont.
1: You know, I didn't want to think it was material science that was a differentiator <laughs> at first, but certainly I, you know, very quickly became convinced of it. And um, and it is, you know, I tell you, it is really interesting to see that interaction between hardware, software, and material science, and how you can really, by tuning all three, create real advantage for our customers.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And some of those customers I wanted to talk to you about, you know, Carbon has established so many partnerships with really major global brands, brands like Adidas, Ford, Johnson & Johnson. Can you share with us um, perhaps any applications or customer stories that are really exciting you right now? Yeah, I tell you, the
1: one that um, really surprised me and very exciting is bicycle seats. Now, who would have thought about that? But Specialized was the first. Um, and, uh, you know, that we designed a, a specialized bike saddle, they call them saddles, um, and they've had tremendous success with it, so much so that it's been noticed by the industry and physics is in and other um, bike manufacturers are understanding how the seat matters. It improves performance mm-hmm. um, and and that this is something that, you know, can grow. To, you know, a great number of, of seats per year. It's just been really interesting to see the performance factor. It's just not replacing something with something that might be a little cooler to look at, right? Mm-hmm. But it has a real performance aspect to it um, that's a real differentiator. mm
0: mm-hmm. And and what is it about the technology that has really allowed this to happen then? Is that more of a material science side of things?
1: So I think it's a combination of material science and lattice design. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the seat itself is created from a lattice um, design and printed on our printers, and it you can't mold it. It's not something that you can injection mold. Mm-hmm. Um and so and its ability to kind of absorb energy and dampen energy um is far superior than the previous materials that were used and so it is that i mean and and you know at duPont material science i learned a lot about materials that can absorb energy and can dampen energy you know and create energy and um and to see it firsthand up close working in a you know it's a consumer application but you know in this in this time um you know, bike enthusiasts are doubling down on their biking in the in the COVID environment, and, and mm-hmm. it's really great to see how um, how quickly this became you know a large opportunity for carbon. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And some of those examples there and and, and those um, companies they are obviously quite quite big big um, major brands, but you know it, we've also got to think about engaging these small and medium businesses with additive manufacturing. Those that maybe haven't adopted AM yet, maybe they think it's too expensive or it's not for them or they've just not found that killer application yet. So um, how do you sort of help them see the value that 3D printing can bring? Is it about starting small with things like jigs and fixtures or prototyping to then move on to to production or helping them to think additively? What what do you think that is?
1: Yeah, so there's a tremendous amount of prototyping that's done in additive. And I think the trend over the last few years has been the evolution of that not towards not just prototyping, but prototyping to low volume. Mm. So, um, and understanding how quickly they can move, and especially with a system like Carbon, where you're prototyping and can produce the you know the volume on the same printer. And you don't have to have those transitional issues that occur. So we're spending a lot of time working with the communities um, on designing for DLS or the digital light synthesis, our technology, and helping designers, some huge design communities around the world, giving them the tools that enable them, right? Because they were taught how to do it in many of them in a world that didn't include a lot of additive. And now sure additive's been taught being taught in schools today, but um current designers and designers that have been in you know in out in the marketplace for 10, 15, 20 years, we're helping them understand and, and helping them create their tools or their capability in designing for additive. And that's a real important part of it. And we're seeing more and more of that occur. Our certified production network is certainly Working on that, many of them have designers in their own communities that really help OEMs and other companies come up to speed in this area. So we see it continuing to move, and we we saw a lot of interest in in the educational aspects of it as COVID started, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't be in the labs, they couldn't be you know um, as connected or you know at, you know in their offices or in their in, in their places of work. So. Um, I think it is we're seeing more interest in it. We're certainly reaching out with uh, different tools and different educational materials that really um, create the uh, higher capability in designing for additive and specifically designing for DLS.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the other major factors for Carbon that, that maybe has contributed to, to this accessibility is um, that Carbon was, was one of the first companies to introduce a subscription model for um, industrial additive hardware. So, do you think has that had an impact uh, in terms of accessibility and an uptake from customers who may have maybe thought additive wasn't for them beforehand?
1: Well, it certainly gives them. Uh, first of all, they know that when they we install the machine or the printer. That is always going to be up to date, that it's not out of date when they get it. And that's because we download software upgrades and our our service people are in there once a year um, to make sure it's tuned properly and things like that. And so we, um, you know, so they proactively understand that this is an investment that will stay current as time goes on. And I think that's a really important part of the subscription model. But yeah, so they're they're paying for it over time, but at the same time, they're not losing ground to their competition because the competition are getting a year newer machine or the next. They're right there with the latest software, with the latest capability, and that's a really important aspect of the subscription model that our customers um, appreciate.
0: And carbon has only been around in the 3D print industry for a relatively short amount of time compared to how long the industry has been here for. But I'd argue that it's already as recognizable as, as some of the big brands that have been around since the beginning. So as one of the industry's most recognizable names, do you feel a large responsibility to to get the message right out there about additive and and sort of manage people's expectations as well?
1: Well, I do think that um, people have put additive into a box of um prototyping, um, you know, interesting things to give away at trade shows, right, type of thing, (laughs) as opposed to necessarily a workhorse in manufacturing. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the area that I get the most excited about, about the opportunity in additive. It's, yeah, we're, you know, additive is great for prototyping. It's also can be utilized in low volume. And we're showing more and more applications where high volume additive is relevant. If you think Mm -hmm. about the Adidas midsoles, the Riddell liners for their football helmets, the specialized bike seat I was just talking about. And so I think it's that transition. I've seen it in the last few years transition to low volume. I think we have to continue to beat that drum, to get the success stories out there, to really – engage the community with a clear understanding of, of the capabilities. And, and I think those capabilities, I know Additive's been around for, what, 30, 40 years? Mm-hmm. I think the capabilities today are vastly different than they were when it first started.
0: Mm-hmm. And that kind of feeds nicely into the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about. And we, we touched on it at the beginning, but um, it's the industry's response to the COVID-19 crisis because additive has really kind of shown itself. Uh, well, it's shown where it can be valuable and it, and it's really um become a, a great provider of solutions to to some of the problems that we've been faced with. So and Carbon has been one of the companies that's been printing test swabs in the millions. And can you talk to us about the challenges or opportunities that Crisis has presented Carbon with?
1: You know, I think it's really interesting because um, it was, you know, you can talk about how quickly you can pivot with a, with additive technology. But mm-hmm. this, it was clearly um, front and center as as we entered into the shelter in place um, and had to literally send all of our people to work from home. And many of them can't work from home from a lab standpoint and, and some manufacturing people. And so the people wanted to help and and people started talking back and forth about what could we do? what can we do with the technology? The first and easiest things was was the face shield frames. and you know within five, seven days of um, when the shelter in place started, we hosted a webinar for 300 of our partners. Um, talking about you know, open source design for face shields, you know, kind of, and what other opportunities they were, and and it was it was tremendous. I think you know because our. Our network started printing face shields. We started printing face shields with our labs. Uh, We had the support of Adidas to donate them into needy communities. And it was just absolutely tremendous what what the community did. Um, And then the shortages, things like swabs came up. And our designers and print development experts probably did 10 iterations of designs in, in, in a Two week period of time, and I mean, and this means getting samples into a clinical environment, like mm-hmm. a Stanford University or or Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston, getting feedback from the clinicians. You know, can it? Um, is it tolerable, right, by the the patient? Can it um, secure enough sample, and can it be read on the existing equipment?
0: So mm-hmm. there are
1: there were, well, there were more technical challenges there um, with a swab than necessarily for the face shields. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we have, we had a partner in resolution medical, um, who operates in the, in the medical, um, industry and, you know, they worked with our dental partners to, you know, our dental partners were printing the swabs resolution medical was packaging, disinfecting, um, packaging and and you know out in the marketplace and you know it just shows you how quickly and you know and one design download to printers wherever they are in the world to print right so local for local and so I think it really did show us a lot and our you know we did it we did it out of a sense of wanting to help initially and I don't think understood what we would learn Right, as a result of that, and how our customers really felt um, very supported by us by working with them through these opportunities. And so I think there was just tremendous learnings for all of us. Mm-hmm.
0: And you spoke a little bit earlier about um, some of those applications and getting those those customer stories out there to show people and um, the value that additive can bring. So, do you think some of the, the COVID examples are, are going to do a similar thing in terms of shining a positive light on the benefits that AM can bring to the supply chain?
1: I absolutely believe that, and I think so. The question is, will it stick? Right? Will or will we go back to our inflexible, long supply chains? you know, once this is over and and people are talking about it in different ways. Um, And so it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see. Certainly we're spending our time, you know, each of us in the industry on, on understanding the real benefits and aspects of this that could truly, um, you know, enable, right. Just much more flexibility in the manufacturing um, capability different countries and when you know when issues like we saw this year occur I mean so I think that we've we've got to learn um -hmm. from these things and and so time will tell how Mm -hmm. this turns out
0: and I guess it's also really shown itself as a as a true mass production technology for certain devices of course but it, it, it has certainly shown um where that is a real possibility yeah
1: absolutely
0: it absolutely has Um, And another important topic I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, it won't come as a shock to any of our listeners to know that you're just one of a small number of female CEOs within the AM industry industry. You are also the very first female CEO of DuPont and you're also a co-chair of the Paradigm for parity Coalition, which was established to address the leadership and gender gap. So I just wanted to um, talk to you a little bit about um, Carbon's approach to this and maybe what you think more companies or the AM industry as a whole could be doing to address the gender gap. Well, I th-
1: you know, I think that it has to be part of who you are. It has to be part of your purpose, right, mm-hmm. to create a uh diverse and inclusive uh environment for your people and a culture for your company i am really i i was really have been really impressed with the work that uh the founders have done here joe Di simone specifically in terms of how he engages people how he hires people how he thinks about it i mean he started the company with the intent right, of creating a diverse and inclusive environment. And and we're not perfect. No company is. But boy, you know, my CFO um, is a woman. My general counsel is a woman. My CMO is a woman, right? I mean, so my CHRO is a woman, right? So we have um, a, a very diverse leadership team. And, you know, and the conversations are fantastic. I mean, I, I really believe that work itself is enabled by a diversity of people, of opinion, of backgrounds that, that you bring into play. And I've I've felt this way, um, you know, my whole life. I, I, you know, I guess when I graduated from college, I mean, I was only one of like, you know, a handful of engineers graduating when I did from college, uh, women engineers, I should say, uh, a lot of men. Um, and, uh, when I got in the workplace, I never thought of myself as being different. I was just one of the guys, you know, tomboy growing up, played a lot of sports. And when I got out in the workforce, I realized that I was treated differently. And mm-hmm. so from a very young age in business, I hopefully, and have tried to work to create a more diverse and more inclusive environments everywhere I've been, um, and you know, and I see the next generation facing some of the some of the same issues that I did, so I think it the work continues but i'm I'm very proud of how our company started of of what Joe and his team created and and hope to carry it forward and continue to to invest in it and improve upon it
0: mm-hmm. Um, And another kind of challenge that I wanted to talk to you about, and it's something that we're asking all of our interviewees as part of this executive series about, um, is sustainability. Um, You've previously shared how Carbon is focusing on creating sustainable materials for digital manufacturing. So I just wanted to ask you about how Carbon is really helping to tackle the challenges around sustainability and perhaps if you can give us any more details about what that means for those materials.
1: So, I mean, so the old adage of uh, reduce, reuse, recycle is as relevant today as it was when decades ago it came up, right? And hopefully Mm -hmm. we're doing a better job at it today. So we think about it in terms of our process, in terms of our materials, in terms of who we are as a company. And so in our process, one of the first things that we've been doing is um, enabling the reclaim of resin. So there are no losses, the resin can be used because with every print there's resin left over. So we reclaim as much of it as we can, we reuse it in the next prints. That was a change from the first generation printer, because we understood how that's not only an economic issue for our customers, it's a sustainability issue for our customers as well. And so that's been a big part of, you know, kind of part one, right? Um, and then the materials themselves. Now, you know, when I was at DuPont, I championed bio-based materials. And one of our first products was um, uh, chemical 1,3-propane dial, And so we made it from plant sources. And it was interesting when I came out and was talking to Carbon, they use 1,3-propane uh, dial and their RPU-130 resin. And so we continue to look for other resins, other opportunities to move into plant-based, to move into more sustainable materials themselves. And so, I mean, it was really exciting. I mean, Joe kind of laughed. I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer, and Joe, our founder, is obviously a PhD chemist. And he said, you can actually say that word, 13 dial." I think they think all engineers don't think in terms of material science, but when you work at <laughs> DuPont, you do. Um, and then what we're working towards, and you know, it's just a taller order, is recycling of materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're looking at ways that that can be done. We're looking at partners who could uh, work with us in that. Uh, to that end, obviously there are a lot of issues to to. To work out how do we gather it together? How do we reprocess it? How much can you reuse um, in the system at a time and things like that? And so, but those are those are very active um, programs that we have going on. And then you know, we can't be in Silicon Valley without knowing that our employees are holding us responsible for how, who we are as a company relative to sustainability mm-hmm. and how we think about it from everything of you know the food we serve to how we think about our, our footprint, right. Mm-hmm. And how do we reduce that footprint? And so, I mean, there, are, there are lots of aspects of it. And I tell you, our people are really um, uh, committed. They're excited. These are some tough problems. They're not easy to solve, but then again, you know, that's part of the challenge and it's part of the excitement. So I think it is a really important part of maintaining and extending our success going forward.
0: hmm yeah, and sustainability is such an interesting topic within additive because sometimes we think of additive manufacturing as being this inherently sustainable technology because we only well we're supposed to only use the material that we actually want to use. But then, as you said, it's about the recycling and repurposing materials afterwards. So it is definitely an interesting topic within this this industry specifically.
1: Yeah, I think there's. I think you're right. Just by itself, additive has a lot of benefits associated with it from a sustainability standpoint. But it doesn't mean they can't we can't do better. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't mean we can't even create even stronger, um, you know, programs going forward.
0: Mm -hmm. And so finally, then, are there any other kind of immediate challenges you think we still have to overcome in additive manufacturing, whether technological challenges or otherwise? And are there any developments we can expect to see from carbon next?
1: Well, I mean, uh, so stay tuned. I can't go into the details, but a real (laughs) important part of what I've been working on in the team is investing in innovation. I'm a big believer that um, if you, you know, you've got to innovate or you as a company will not be successful. And Mm -hmm. so it's software, it's hardware, it's materials. Um, it's partnering with third parties and using existing materials, right, where, where we can. But I think there's, there's just a tremendous uh, opportunity that I see um, coming down the next few years from an innovation standpoint uh, for carbon, for the industry, and I'm really excited to be part of it.